Hi, I'm Noah Nelson, host of the No Persinium podcast, a show about immersive theater, VR, escape games, and all that kind of stuff. But this isn't that. While we're hosting this bonus series on our podcast feed, this is a show all about the 2017 DuckTales TV series. It features our longtime collaborator, writer Zay Amsbury, and myself as we dive into the treasure trove that is the DuckTales reboot. We're calling it Webbed Toes, the DuckTales footnotes. This is a show for people who have seen or are watching the series, an exploration of theme and storytelling, and it goes all over the place. Which makes sense when you realize we started doing this to replace our weekly Westworld discussion, which ran out of gas as season three rolled on. So yeah, this is one of those shows. And if you like those, we hope you like this. And you should really, really watch this version of DuckTales. So here's what's up with this episode. Um, on the one hand, this is the most episodes of the show we've talked about so far. Uh, uh, the next batch will have the same number. This is going to do four episodes this time. Um, we are doing this in the order that you can find on the Disney fandom wiki, which is different. It's distinct from the order that is now on Disney Plus because Disney Plus has just jumbled everything out of order according you know versus what was actually released so the order we have is based on how it originally aired and um i I think the disney plus order for reasons might actually be a better order now may even be like the intended order um and you can even you can see this in that the episode numbers uh go differently uh that being said uh we we stuck to the original thing so uh first episode up this time is going to be from the confidential case files of agent 22 Webby learns Scrooge and Mrs. Beakley first met while she helped Scrooge rescue her granny from the clutches of rival spy Black Heron. Who is Gizmo Duck? As Fenton figures out how to be a hero, Mark Beaks offers to hire Gizmo Duck and help him defend all of Duckburg. The other bin of Scrooge McDuck. Lena's loyalties are tested when Magicka forces her to lead Webby on a raid to a facility full of Scrooge's most dangerous artifacts to find his number one dime. And Sky Pirates in the Sky. Feeling ignored, Dewey finds a new family, a band of singing and dancing pirates looking to rob Scrooge blind. So, even though it's going to be like the most, this may want to be in our shortest episode because I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm st- I'm starting to feel at this point like waxing poetic. I'm like, oh man, this is good. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how much there is to 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 footnote or 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 dig into here. I don't know what are, what's your vibe on this. Well, I, th- I think there's a bit of a pull from 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 some of them or from each of them. Um, to me, the most the funniest part about um, about from the confidential case files of Agent Twenty Two was the running gummy bears gag or the running gummy bears references. Yes, yes, I th- this was because I came into this whole series because of one article about how DuckTales had canonized a, a, a goof troop relationship, <laughs> something on <laughs> a blog post was like, all DuckTales just canonized the best relationship in the goof troop. And I'm like, what is, 
<laughs> good and wrong, but at the same time wrong, but good with millennials. Um, and and was fascinated by learning that there were going to be just all of these Disney afternoon references that confidential case files uh, hinges on the fact that someone has that they uh, they're auctioning a we flash back to the 1960s we find out that Scrooge was a freelance spy uh, that Mrs. Beakley was basically uh, oh my god I'm blanking on the name of the actress um, the actress in the Avengers um, Emma Peel Emma Peel well that's the character she's oh, basically no, the actress yeah, yeah I'm trying to remember is it that wasn't Helen Mirren, was it? No. No, no, no. No. Anyway, someone will someone scream at you right now. But like, Mrs. Beakley is basically Emma Peel. Uh, Scrooge is John Steed. Like, even though, like, there's something about the way his, that they draw him, where like, even though he's, he's not drawn all that differently on his head, like his feathers somehow wind up looking like they're mutton chops. I don't, <laughs> there's just a slight suggestion there that he's like young hip Scrooge which is weird for so many reasons. Um, and, and they're, they're off on an adventure against foul, uh, which of course is, is brought up. I believe that's from, um, at least in part from uh, a darkling duck to, uh, to go get a scroll, which describes the formula for gummy berry juice. Yeah. It looks like a page from the great book of gummy. Yeah. Yeah, which means that like some version of the gummy bears happened in this version of the 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 this Ducktales universe, uh, which just delights me to no end. Because uh, even though I've never finished watching the gummy bears entirely, like I was very late on the gummy bears train because it was added to the syndication lineup. Like when they they like they got tired of making new cartoons. Like they were running out of money to make new cartoons. So they brought over gummy bears, which had been on Disney channel uh, and had really lush animation. Like I remember watching it as a kid and being like, or watching it. It's like, you know, in junior high and just thinking like, wow, they spend so much money on this cable stuff because I didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll admit like uh, I got a little class consciousness <laughs> realizing that the good stuff like gummy bears and fraggle rock were being kept from us poor people who didn't have cable um yeah that that, there's a full that's a full stop on that statement (laughs) there's nothing else to it um but gosh, that was, it was it was definitely fun to have the gummy bears in there. Like I I I lost my shit when they showed up. When the when the yeah, and and when Black Heron is is uh, declaring her grand evil plan, and she says there will be bouncing here and there and everywhere mass destruction that is beyond compare is uh, pretty great. Yeah, it's so pretty good. funny. It's so good. Oh, mass destruction that's beyond compare. What does that remind me of? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was I mean, also just, nice. It was also oh, nice having a Scrooge Webby episode. It was nice having a Scrooge Webby episode. It was nice having uh, that German duck character who's like whose name I can't remember, but who's also from like classic Disney shorts, right? Like the the whole thing. The whole thing was a a, a great. It was a love letter to Disney Afternoon. It was a love letter to the Avengers, uh, yeah. like the, the the British Avenger, British Avengers, the the kind of original Avengers. Uh, and yeah, it was 
grounded in Webby's hero worship of Scrooge mm-hmm. that that then matures out of that. Like that was that was sort of the beautiful thing, right? Like in a world where we know it's it's wise to never meet your heroes, Webby lives with her hero, finally gets a chance to meet him and 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 winds up there's a weird gentleness to the character of Scrooge and 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 it's this thing that i think is 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 bound out of his individualism and his his sense of himself and his sense of other characters as fully functional people even though he treats children like adults which can be problematic in its own way but his there, there, there's a value in that drive towards self-actualization. And it manifests in a lot of junky ways, even for, for most humans, and even for Scrooge, like there's there's plenty of problems. We see the the excesses of this self-actualization at any cost. But the but one really good element of it, and the thing to sort of that you'd want to like preserve if the idea is to, you know, learn something from a stage of development and take the good things with you as you go on to the next stage. That this, this ability to recognize the, the, the fullness of another person, um, even if it takes a moment, it, I think that's like, it's almost like Scrooge is like default like he's so sure of himself as an agent in the world, right? That he just assumes everyone else has is operating with like that degree of agency, almost to a level of being antagonistic to his own agency. Like that's where his yeah, arrest, right? yeah, which which makes him a, a very good uncle, but would have made him a t- but would make him a terrible parent. Oh, absolutely, yeah, right. I mean, we never see him neither. There is a there is a level in which you know, uh, both both Donald and uh, and Scrooge do get away with the fact that the boy is his uncle, and uh, that that level of leniency that comes in there, you know, yep. um, they they are not surrogate parents, like those boys are definitely being raised. <laughs> They're fosters, you know, <laughs> which is a very I mean honestly you know uh, a very Celtic thing you know foster children. Um, you're being fostered by your uncle when you get to a certain age. Um, you know, <laughs> that's an accidental layer and not a real layer to the show. <laughs> All right. Other than the fact that like this, this one is, has a lot of delightfulness in it. And indeed I think might be my second or third favorite episode of the, of the series. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Just, just because of, well, at least on the first watch it was. Um, I don't know how it's gonna gonna shake out on this uh, on this watch, but like I was so enamored of the gummy bear gag. Like the, the gummy bear gag was very very cute. Yeah, I think for for some reason, you know, you have those those genres or certain takes on genres that that really land for you that you sort of connect with, and then certain other genres kind of bounce off you. Yeah, for some reason. The spy thing rarely does it for me, um, unless it's 
unless it's either like a super real politic approach to it or it's the campiest of James Bond. Mm. Um, and there was something about about the turn of this genre, like um, like the Avengers never uh, really landed for me. Um, and maybe it was that that it just it just didn't that genre just didn't uh, take me there. Uh, and so mostly it was the enjoying Scrooge and Webby um, and the gummy bears ridiculousness was quite fun. So a few things here. One, Diana Rigg plays Diana Rigg. I remembered, right? Uh, of course, Mrs. Peel in the in the movie of the of the Avengers, uh, which has one of the most awesome sequences in it in in in, in any film ever. It's not a great movie, but there's a wonderful moment. Oh, that's it. a wonderfully horrible movie. Oh, yeah, it's and and it's got uh, you know Ray Fiennes plays uh, plays uh, what's his butt and uh, Uma, Thurman. Uma Thurman plays Mrs. Peel. Uh, so like and Kenneth Braun is the bad guy. No, no, Sean I'm Connery thinking, is the bad guy. That's what's funny. I I jumped right to Wild Wild West, which is another yes. awful <laughs> spyish movie. God, that one's the worst. <laughs> Wild Wild West, the movie that ended uh, the tradition of Will Smith ruling the uh, July 4th box office, uh, <laughs> I guess until Independence Day, uh, and then it came back. I can't remember which, I can't remember the sequence there. Uh, but That, that was, was another the- TV show I adored that I watched on like uh, reruns with my mom. I never, I never... Yeah, because like some some reruns were only on stations that either I didn't get or were on cable. Like mm. Avengers, I never did. Never uh, saw Wild Avengers Wild Wilder. Yeah, Wild Wild West, I never did. Um, and and Wild Wild West definitely is like that. Looks like it's fascinating. Like, but maybe it's on somewhere. You know, um, I'm sure somewhere in the grand uh, galaxy of all the things that are online, it, it maybe it's there. Although there's things like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman that aren't. Mm. So um, there's, there are these, these corners of, of the history of uh, American television that are, that are lost. Wild Wild West was, it was, it was really cool for two reasons. Partially it was James Bond as a Western, which was right. cool. And then the other thing was at the beginning of every episode, there was um, there was this sort of uh, hand drawn uh, man. There's a Western artist that it was imitating, and I cannot remember the person's name. Um, but you see these. Uh, it's like this image of, uh, of of a gunslinger, and then at every cliffhanger, at every commercial break, the last image is turned into a drawing that gets like locked in to that image that you see in the beginning of the episode. And oh, for some cool. reason that just, my mom and I just thought that was the coolest thing to watch every time. Yeah. I remember like some night, I think at the beginning of pandemic, somehow I was like, I was doing like a classic web search surf and I went down a deep rabbit hole on like the production of that show. Wow. And, um, like, like certain characters and well, just, it was very, very weird. I mean, it had yeah. like a, a very, very surreal elements to it. Like certainly not to the level of the prisoner, right. but, but that it had that sort of taste to it. Um, it, it. It sounded from reading about it. It sounded like it was somewhere on the spectrum between the prisoner and the 66 Batman. <laughs> 
the Adam West Batman. It it wasn't it was it wasn't that campy and it wasn't that bright mm. and it wasn't that um, ironic. It wasn't that level of camp. I mean, it was more like like late Sean Connery Bond camp more than like Roger Moore camp or okay. uh, Batman 66 camp. Yeah. Well, and, and Batman 66 is definitely Roger Moore. I mean, it's farther out than Roger right. Moore. But... It, was, it was much more sincere than that. It was not, or sincere isn't the right word. It was much more, like the surrealism was much more cutting, like much more along the lines of The Prisoner interesting batman 66 now i'm just now i'm just even all the more fascinated by it so uh but roll but but roll so (laughs) that's one to chase down rolling (laughs) rolling back don't want to spoil what it is but that avengers if you can if you can find it is is totally worth watching because it is a great bad movie like I said, for one sequence, there's just an image in it that I will not spoil. That's just like amazing. Just like what was, how did this, it's one of those, like, how did this get made? Um, and. Oh, um, there was somewhere we were going to go in terms of like that Avengers spy stuff. Um, yep. Nope. Lost. <laughs> we jumped out wild on what was totally well, I fine. I, I came into it this idea of, of genres that bounce off a person, like genres that you sort of click into and genres that you don't quite click, click into or approaches the genres oh, that right, for whatever right. reason don't so, quite click. So go, more more history of television. Um have did you then this first one I mentioned a comic and then I'm gonna mention the 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 show that it's mm-hmm. basically based off of. Um do you know Greg Rucka's Queen and Country? I do not. Okay. So, you know, I mean, I, I know of it. I have not read it. Okay. So, uh, uh, which means you probably don't know the sandbaggers. I do not. So there is a British like 1970s, like late seventies, super like low budget, very grounded, realistic series called the sandbaggers. Uh, it was an ITV show. Uh, if you like your spies to be kind of realpolitik, they don't have the budget to go full Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although as as the years go on, and there's a few se- series of it, as they say it in in, in England, um, as the years go on, like it's clear they get a little bit of budget. There's a few episodes, I think, in the first year where it's like they're literally just in the office. It's like an it almost feels like an office drama mm-hmm. because everything's about. We got to take this upstairs. We got to get clearance from M, you know, like mm. or, or from C. So we got to get clearance from C. What's going on? Minder two's in the field, like, and then it's like you know, cut to like you know, he's he's in the embassy and he's all jacked up because something something bad happened in East Berlin that we don't see, right? And they're just like, we're gonna cut the corners where we need to, but tense as hell and some characters you find out like do not have script immunity and you're like what and uh i love greg rucka and he will cop to this fact like about half of queen and country is literally just a rip of sandbaggers and it's like just like entire entire moments from uh, and plots lifted uh, and then kind of transpose later, but like Queen and Country is also a fantastic comic book series. Um, and if you if you 
I don't even think, I think it's possible to like read those comics, absolutely love them, fall in love with those characters and then watch Sandbaggers and go like, oh, I'm in the same plot. But again, you know my thing about, right. about same plot, different characters, totally different story, right? Like I, I never have a problem if you put people through the exact same plot if they're different characters uh, because you get, you get a different story. You get, a, you get an emotionally different result. Um, it's probably one of the reasons why I like immersive theater. Run that different person through the scenario. See how they <laughs> feel about it, right? Like, you know, that's the joy of it all. Um, yeah. So, so you, Zay, should, if you can find uh, Sandbaggers, um, and I don't know if Queen and Country is available on something like Hoopla, mm-hmm. but uh, highest highest recommendation that sounds lovely all right who is gizmo duck <laughs> uh, now who, here here's a genre that uh in almost all forms tends to work for me which is the superhero genre um and this is one of my favorites which is the superhero who um either doesn't understand or feels as if they don't deserve the powers that they've been given straight up yeah this this is a this feels like it's one of the more straightforward episodes of Uh the series um in in that way as much as i liked it i was also sort of like disappointed with it in a weird way Uh like and i don't know as as they you know, in the original DuckTales series, Gizmo Duck was a character brought into like the second season, I think, and then kind of like pulled a lot of focus. Like they, a lot of the stories, like the writers are really interested in telling a, a Gizmo Duck story. And, uh, and as much as I was really excited to have like a superhero, uh, I, I was sort of like always felt like I was disappointed to like not have more launch pad and everybody I really loved. Oh, hold on. There's just sirens. Cause that's just how we live in America now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, here like we just sort of like the camera just this this is an episode where like the camera just sort of takes us away from our from the main characters of the show kind of locks itself onto uh fenton crackshell cabrera and stays there and it's it's totally fine it's totally good but weirdly enough even though technically normally you would call that a backdoor pilot this doesn't even feel like a backdoor pilot mm. um it just sort of feels like it feels like what if this was an ensemble show and this is a member of the ensemble, and now they're getting their episode. Um, yeah, and and it's almost and all and two because it's it's such a straightforward story. There are the the only real um, twist on this set of superhero beats uh, was all the Mark Beeks uh, tries to co-opt Gizmo Duck as an app, as a sort of superhero app. Um, but for me, I loved the little jokes in this. Like, this is one of those episodes where it was almost because it was so straightforward. All those little jokes that happened really popped, like little lines, little exchanges, um, uh, and little moments. Like when the Beagle Boys come in, and were they – so in the beginning of the episode, um, uh, uh, Ramon, Ramon, Ramon is, is in a bank. And he's just sort of, uh, I'm sorry, Fenton. Fenton is just is just in a bank, and he's 
and he's doing uh, bank stuff. He's trying to get a, to get a loan or try. No, no, no. no. Donald Duck was trying to get a loan, which was the best part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anytime you get a little Donald Duck going on is great. Um, he's trying to start an account and trying to find out um, the details of all the little perks that he's going to get if he starts an account. Um, and then the Beagle Boys come in to rob the bank. And were they wearing Daffy Duck masks? They were wearing Scrooge masks. Were they? Because it seemed like the fur was black. No, no, no. They were wearing Scrooge. I mean, I watched this like two weeks ago because <laughs> we were supposed to record. And then like things went haywire because I think what? There started being blackouts back east. Um, yes. I remember. I remember they wore, one of them at least was wearing a Scrooge mask. Yeah. Yeah. I would swear to it. All I right. could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I would All swear. Right. I, in my memory, uh, from an hour and a half ago, they were the the fur was black, but like, I mean, God knows it's hard to keep track of of anything um, that's happening. Yeah. Um, but there were there were such wonderful little, and then other other things like after after the bank robbery sort of happens, um, or the bank gets the bank gets damaged and is a bit on fire. One of the bank tellers is sort of rolling around on the ground, going. The money is burning, which I thought was really, really funny. <laughs> um, there's a really funny sort of Beats by Dre slash uh, Skrills-esque EDM joke that comes up later with Mark Feeks that uh, also really worked for me. Um, yeah. and, and for some reason, this was the first time that Mark Feeks sort of worked for me. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's because like the particular kind of – because he was – cast very specifically as a villain but the way he was being villainous um uh it seemed to ring true like as a sort of co-optation of 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 ideas uh as his own and trying to take control of someone else's uh invention which i guess is what he was doing before but for some reason it really um it worked better for me in this episode well and i think that i think you know his character that his character is, you know, has developed a pattern at this point. So that deepens it on the one hand, but on the other hand, he's also clearly revealed to be just that egomaniacal that he would put himself in the suit. So not only like brand the suit, but ultimately put himself in the suit and then shirk the responsibilities of the suit. Like he doesn't really care about what this thing can do. He just wants the power. Sound familiar? <laughs> um, and and in this day and age, that type of villainy is the one we're dealing with all the time. Yeah, um, exactly. Should, I'm looking to camera two every time I do. This. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Um, it definitely resonates, um, and is memorable, right? In a way that there's, there's, there's things, I mean, I remember all these episodes fairly clearly, even though it's been a couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. but like, um, that, like when I start thinking about this episode at all, that's actually the stuff that stands out for me is, is, is the idea of, oh, you know, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to brand you. I'm going to turn you into a service. And then I'm going to have the service serve, you know, use all of this power we've built into this technology to do trivial crap when it could be doing something to actually benefit people. Right. Um, because apparently 
much like in our world, there is absolutely no regulation of tech in Duckburg, right? If they had a well-regulated market, right? I mean, one, Scrooge would not have the amount of money that he has. <laughs> Two, Mark Beeks would not be using super heroic technology to have uh, cars be parallel parked, right? You just wouldn't get away with it. So um, what I'm saying is a well-regulated tech market <laughs> would give us all superpowers. Um, yeah. Um, I guess maybe there's more here in these episodes than I thought there was. <laughs> here I was thinking, I was like, hey, there aren't, there aren't any hooks in these. And I'm like, nope, all the way in. Um, I, I think... I think one thing that kind of doesn't entirely work for me is um, Fenton's Fenton's mother. Like, yeah, it does. It seems a little arbitrary. Although I, I, yeah, it's it seems a little arbitrary. Yeah, there's this weird like mash of like stereotypes. It's like, like on the one hand, like the idea of, like she's she's gonna be a police officer. She's like a, she looks like she's a detective or something because the way her badge is. And I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm. is really interesting. You know, like he comes from a, a his family is about, you know, law enforcement or maybe about doing good. These aren't the same things as we all know. Um, but like there's an instinct there to like putting yourselves in positions where you 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 should be helping people, if nothing else. And yet, like all this like, oh, I gotta watch my stories gags, uh, which like just feels like such a level of shorthand. Uh to to starts it feels a, that feels a little nineties to me, um, and not not like I'm gonna like you know grab a hammer and smash anything that isn't uh, you know fully aware and conscious. I just like. I don't know. It, it, Although I I might watch that as like a like a five minute little YouTube um, or like a a super short series. Um, Noah takes a hammer and smashes anything that is not fully conscious for five minutes. Yeah. I mean that could have multiple meanings though. Um, yes, it really could. <laughs> exactly. Like, like you know, just staying for the record, like I always wish that things would be better, right? You know, which doesn't mean that everything has to be like hyper analyzed. Like I'll do that to myself. I'll try and spare everyone else as much as possible. Again, to camera two. Um, but I don't know, like, like, like that's how you show she's a Latina. You know, like she's yeah. got to watch her stories. I'm yeah. just like, mm, mm, mm. you know, particularly when like she could just be as into uh, the Ottoman brothers. She could be in the Ottoman Empire, right? Like she wants to. Ottoman she wants to Empire. We've really talked about Ottoman Empire yet. We haven't talked about Ottoman Empire. Um, I feel like maybe there's an Ottoman Empire special. So, mm. but maybe you know what? Let's do this. Let's save an Ottoman Empire talk for if it shows up in season two. Because if it shows up in season two, Fair. that means that the writers fell in love with the gag at Fair. a deep level. And Fair. then we need to start thinking about all of it. Yeah. Okay. That's our promise to you. Um, I mean, the, the one thing I was getting with Fenton's mother was like a little bit of a Renee Montoya vibe. <laughs> but I think that I think that probably speaks to like to the lack of of uh of of latina police officer characters in comic books more than anything else renee montoya of course uh, who was created by greg rucka 
uh, oh, in, that's funny. That's right. In the Batman run uh, after No Man's Land, um, uh, who would go on to become the second character uh, to wear the mantle of the question, uh, and who's yep. uh, and who's a significant uh, relationship of uh, Batwoman, uh, Renee Montoya, uh, who's indeed a absolutely fantastic, fantastic character. And, Very great uh, character. Yeah, it, whenever she's particularly whenever she's written by Greg, uh, mm. and uh, just just great, great like the there's there's a version of reality uh, uh, that uh, that probably should have happened uh, where you can see where things were going around Final Crisis uh, with DC because DC's in a bad shape right now. Um, boy. Oh boy, yeah, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, but they, uh, but Renee. Renee went did got into some interesting places, uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of Greg's characters uh, would get written into interesting places because Greg often had a lot of pull. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, who maybe aren't so familiar, Greg Rucka is also the writer of The Old Guard, which is like the biggest movie of the summer, thanks to the weird summer we're having. Yeah. Uh, that's the Netflix one starring uh, Charlize Theron. Like, like he is the writer of that movie. It is also based off his comic book. Uh, he's also the writer of the comic books that led to the Stumptown series. So Greg's really having uh, a great a great moment. And the only thing awkward about Stumptown as a series is that the Portland Police Bureau, um, uh, several members of the cast, uh, the heroic members of the cast are members of the Portland Police Bureau. That's going to be awkward next season. Uh, <laughs> it's really super awkward right there. Luckily, the main character is a private detective, so you can you can leave those PPB characters. Although one of my friends plays one of the detectives, so I'm hoping everyone just suddenly gets a new job. Um, again, uh, we started this uh, escape from reality, and reality just keeps on coming in. So um, anything else about who is Gizmo Duck uh, that we should get into here? Um, no, I'm good. Um, I mean, the rest, I, I just have a bunch of really funny lines written down here. All right. Um, read them all. Read them all. Um, I'll, I'll read a, I'll read a few of them. I love when Huey comes in, uh, to where, where, uh, Gyro's working and Gyro just says, hi, some kid. Um, and I do like it when uh, when he gives uh, uh, Gizmo Duck his um, his 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 little um, faith in you piece of paper. And he says, "You should just throw away my faith in you." And oh. uh, he throws it in the trash and says, "In the recycling, you monster!" Yes, yes. Awesome. Oh God, it's so good. That is so good. I think from now on, anytime someone introduces me to some to their child again, like here's my kid, I think I'm just going to say, "Hi, some kid." <laughs> there, there, there's definitely things to take from this series into life and start using. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start looking for stuff. Um, yeah, you've inspired. The other bin of Scrooge McDuck. Um, this episode is a Lena episode. It's, it's been a hot minute since we've seen Lena. In fact, uh, just judging on things. Two, three, four. There's been four because Jaws. So it's it's been about four episodes. The last time we saw Lena was Jaws, where Lena is, of course, Magica is, and um, you know this one this one gets a little dark. You know, it does like it starts off with Lena creeping into Scrooge's bedroom with a knife. 
yes. um, to like cut his number one dime off and climbs into Scrooge's bed. Being being driven by her actual shadow. Yes. Um, and then Webby catches her because Webby's sneaking into Scrooge's room. Again, kind of kind of creepy here. Um, and and uh, goes in and uh, what is it? She she she's gonna try and like get his drool, right? Was what she was up to? Get his, get his number one dime. No, no, no. Lena was after his number one dime. Webby was after Scrooge's drool. She was collecting drool samples. <laughs> Super fangirl. Yeah, that this that this episode is happening, and like canonically, I think canonically, it, it definitely happens after Case Files of Agent Twenty Two. Mm. Um, feels feels a little a little weird. The yeah, way they've you're got absolutely it, right. Yeah, the way they've got it structured in Disney Plus now, this happens after Secrets of Castle McDuck. And what's interesting is on on Webby's crazy board, uh, there are there are things that are referencing that episode. So so if you freeze frame Webby's board when you get to see it, there are things that happen in other episodes that are written on there. And depending on when the episode's being aired versus the other episodes, it's either stuff that has already occurred or stuff that is going to occur, um, which is a fascinating Easter egg to pay attention to, which I didn't even realize until this time. I think that I, I thought I noticed something, so I paused this time to read. Uh-huh. And so now I'm I'm very... Like going forward, I'm going to be hyper focused on what's on Webby's board. Um, anyway, the the girls wind up going on this adventure into the basement. Uh, they do some uh, they do some escape room puzzle solving in the garage, which leads them to the other bin where they're hunting down where Lena's trying to hunt down the number one dime, and uh, they they wind up um, you know obviously opening the wrong doors, having some misadventures. Uh, but the big one circles around uh, a, a, like a nightmare catcher uh, that causes Lena to have uh, this this kind of absolute. Well, it's a it's a it's a dream catcher that also ends up catching nightmares. Yeah, for their also dreams. And 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 it induces like her darkest fears. Yeah. And her her darkest fear is that she's going to like turn against Webby. And uh, everything's going to come crashing down. And then the Webby will be turned against her via Magicka. And I, I think my favorite grace note of this, and the, the, the moment that made me gasp the first time I watched it, was like, much like gummy bears showing up, mm. Webby gets turned into a doll by Magicka. Yeah. And the design is the 87 Webby. Yeah. And that just made me gasp. Um, it gets back to the way the... The, the writers and the art direction on this show are completely conscious of all of the nostalgia and all of the lore at their disposal. And they deploy it in ways that are sometimes discomfitting, which just takes, takes some brass. And that's, and that's the way to do it. To it, it, it refreshes the images because it, 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 it works against itself. It takes the the positive nostalgia and uses it to dredge up these darker moments. It's so canny. Yeah. And yet for someone who has no, you know, reference point for it, it's still a creepy thing, yes. but it doesn't have that resonance. And 
and yeah, like it, it puts, it puts the action first and then the, the aesthetic creates another layer as opposed to taking the aesthetic first and then trying to figure out what you're going to do action with it. Zack Snyder, if you're listening, this is how you tell stories. And, and also it's a way to, to, I, I do not like the phrase fan service. No, because technically that means upskirt shots in anime. Yeah. Right. So it's really bad. (laughs) Uh, But also, Um, yeah, the the idea itself is. Well, it's, it's, it's poorly defined. Yeah. In this instance though, um, it's so effective for all the reasons you described. Like it, it, you don't need to know what the reference is for the moment to work, which I guess would be a good description of fan service where a moment only works only lands if you know what it's referencing within the the world of the of the intellectual property that you're experiencing um and in this case you don't need to know for it to be a creepy moment for a creepy emotional moment between these two characters well three characters um but if you know then there's a deeper resonance and that's nice yeah and it's such a lovely way of approaching the lore yeah it's funny we should be on this because one of one of the rabbit holes I fell into this week was, uh, and again, I mean, the YouTube algorithm got to me, uh, and I I can't remember why I was looking at something that had nothing to do with this, um, and then it suggested, hey, do you want to watch the 4K cinematics of like all of the old Republic uh, cinematic trailers? And I was like, yeah, I think I do because that art style is. <laughs> And I and I didn't play the old Republic, and I'm a Star Wars nut, and I was like watching them. They're absolutely gorgeous and 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 really exciting. And there's 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 a lot of stuff there about the way like the aesthetic. Like the one big problem with the old Republic as a series, of course, the old Republic is like the MMORPG that's been around for like ever. That was a spinoff of the Knights of the Old Republic games, which were perfect. Um, the first one was well, not perfect. I hate the Ricotta. That's another thing, but. Reason why I'm getting this is the first one is is Empire Strikes Back level Star Wars reversal that is earned exactly, uh, and this and 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 has, and that it has one thing towards the end that like takes things in a direction that I do not love, but that's not that's definitely outside the scope of this podcast. Fair enough. Um, the, the the heart of it though is, and the reason why I bring it up is, um, the cinematics are gorgeous, <laughs> like really exciting. And there's this one, this is, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost no dialogue, uh, all visual storytelling driven, uh, a tale of two brothers type things. And it's these two like light side, dark side Jedi twin guys who I guess are children of this seemingly like bad guy, but this bad guy who wears like kind of like light side looking clothing. So I'm like, I don't know who this is. Of course, let's mm-hmm. Later, but like mm. these guys, both of these guys, you know, the vibe you get from it is like, oh, these guys are like doing Jedi stuff, but they're not Jedi, but they're not dressing like Sith, and their lightsabers are yellow. And suddenly, like, I was like, whoa, was the choice to make Ray's lightsaber at the end of the last movie yellow related to this? Was this? Was was that movie in dialogue with this 
very elaborate video game lore that slightly to my shame, but also to the fact that I don't own a PC and maybe to the benefit of all, like I'm not fully versed in because, because you get thrown into this thing where like, yeah, like, you know, what's homage, what's fan service, what's in dialogue, what isn't in dialogue. Uh And, and how do these things sort of like, how do they actually affect the macro discussion in the overall discourse, you know, of like who's initiated and who isn't into this stuff. And if the thing is working as it does in this moment, if the thing's working well enough, it it doesn't even matter. You know, the fact that like Webby gets turned into 87 Webby, you don't need to know that it only deepens, which we've said already, but yeah. Yeah. Noah, now is neither the time nor the place, Mm -hmm. but at some point, because I don't think I've ever told you the tale of my obsession with Star Wars galaxies that led to a number of really gnarly experiences that then many, many, many years later resurfaced when I started playing Old Republic in a way that I don't think many people would appreciate except maybe people who are listening to this. Um, now is now the time of the place because it's a bit of a long story, but at some point I should tell you this tale. It sounds like as, as we come up on the end of DuckTales, I feel like a couple of things are going to happen. One, despite the fact that like I'm like super excited to get into the new slate, another part of me feels like we should take a couple of episodes. We should like find a name for what we're doing that isn't about the DuckTales show and then take a couple of episodes to just run through some things. Well, and maybe, and, maybe in the context of the, um, of the, uh, of, of the VR game for. Galaxy's Edge, that one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can save, we can save for that. I don't know when that's actually coming out. Yeah. Like, like there's for some reason, like, and again, for anyone who's listening, I really do not know. I am not. I'm not calling upon dark powers, Sith magic, cloning, any of that stuff, to to divine. Like, the vibe keeps on feeling like it should be this fall. I think that's, that's just wishful. Like, right? Yeah, but I think that may just be wishful thinking on my part. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna get back to Batu, you know. My local Target doesn't even have oh, the Galaxy's Edge toys. Um, by the way, if you spot them out there, please let me know. I don't have disposable income, and yet Hondo Anaka needs to come home. Um, so he really does. <laughs> this is a good idea. Find a name for what we're uh, doing. doing. doing yeah, yeah. Um, I'm very. People like to tell me I'm bad with the branding, so and I'll I'll, I'll accept that. So we'll we'll discover. Um, well, to 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 bring it back to Ducktales. One thing happened in this episode that made me so happy because. From the beginning of DuckTales, we've been talking about how it is that this mad alchemy works, that Scrooge McDuck, who's a rich, old, white duck, remains endearing and remains a hero, remains a hero to the characters on the show and to us in a way that works somehow. Um, And Webby gives a name to it in this episode. She calls him the world's finest adventure capitalist. Yes. Which is such a great turn of phrase. 
and manages to bring in the fact that he is, I mean, I don't know, a capitalist. That's a complicated word. But adventure capitalist is such a fantastic phrase and so perfectly applied to Scrooge McDuck. I whooped when I heard that. It made me very, very happy. I think we've talked about this, though. I think I like, I think I may have spoiled it in our very earliest episode. Oh, did you use the phrase? Because I because I feel like it must it feel like it came up earlier, but then to hear it on the show seemed very very different. Yeah. But and I think that has everything to do with the fact that like, you know, I had run through the show, but it has been months. So I'm really I'm actually really glad that it that it that it hit you. Um because yeah, like and because we did have that conversation about, you know, like <laughs> like Scrooge stole it the old fashioned way with his own two hands, right? Right. You know, and that's what an adventure capitalist does. You know, right. like you know, but, he, it's, but it's, it's like it's like the good side of all of it. It's like that that individualism that you were talking about earlier, which which gives Scrooge McDuck the ability to connect to these kids. Yeah, because he treats them like individuals. He assumes agency on a galactic scale for everybody he encounters. And if they don't engage with it, then that's the problem. Yeah. And and in a sense, that is everything that is wrong with American individualism. Yeah. Like the the myth of Amer- of American individualism, the myth of meritocracy, the myth of all this stuff um, that ignores systemic imbalances in our culture. Um, and yet somehow <laughs> Scrooge McDuck makes it um, seem not just virtuous. In terms of being a citizen, but in terms of being a person and connecting with these children, it's weird alchemy. I can't tell if it's dark or light or what at this point. I think I think it's light, and I think it's light for the reason that you know there is. I think there is a positive aspect to individualism part of the American character. I do think what is missing from the formula is an, an awareness of context, right? An individual unaware of their context is weaker and more manipulatable than an individual who is aware of their context. And um, someone who is only aware of their context, but unaware of their individual agency is also weaker. Right, like you, you just you do not think you have the power. The other one thinks they have all the power and and doesn't recognize the agency of others. I think that I think that step. I think where Scrooge exists on the on the spectrum, and I think that Scrooge. I don't think that Scrooge is necessarily. I mean, at no point do we see in any of this this version of Scrooge aware of the systems of the world. Right. Yes. But, but yes. I think. Keep going. Keep going. But he does recognize the agency of others. Right. Yes. And, and and recognizing the agency of others does manage to like on his worst days he doesn't recognize their humanity for lack of a better term I'm about to say their foulmanity but like their humanity he doesn't recognize um, their their humanity uh, on his worst days but on his best days and around his family he has more good days than bad he recognizes the humanity of others and that is the transitional step from being someone who is hyper aware of their own agency and is the, the hero of their own story and the, the hero of the world and the finest adventure capitalist in the world and someone who is a member of a pantheon that includes all of humanity 
where we get into some very Grant Morrisonian themes. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing about Scrooge McDuck is that it's it's almost as if he, because what you say about his his uh, his ignorance or his naivety about um, uh, about certain aspects of how money work, it's like it's the episode. I forget the name, I forget the name of the episode. It's the episode where he he ends up giving money to the town. And then all of that money is stolen away. Like the money doesn't actually go to anyone no, who needs help. Yeah. And he and he's and he's genuinely naive about it. Like genuinely, it doesn't. He's not trying to um, make his money go somewhere else. He's not trying to move his money in these nefarious ways. He's not. He doesn't even seem like someone who is trying to use his money to make money. He's not a financier. It's almost like he his relationship to money is not a relationship that could exist past uh, the middle of the 20th century for anyone who actually has that much money. It's like he's, it's like he's this, it's like, it's like he's this, he's this um, uh, pre crash pre um, pre uh, uh, man, my brain and vodka um it's 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 like it's like he's an early colonialist without having the stink of colonialism on him well i mean i mean mean, things things you note, right like he feels very mid-century american he feels post great depression which the character i think was uh he feels he definitely feels pre even though the 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 ducktail series was in the 80s he was he was a kind of a kind of financier character who who exists pre-reagan era right right but 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 in this series there's nothing of that it's like like he's not a banker you know what i mean right he's not a wall street guy no well and he wasn't but he's also and he wasn't in in the earlier ducktales and he and he and when the character was invented he he wasn't that way he's he's decidedly old money in the oldest money form but you know the system of the world that he works in the system of the world in which a, a a Scrooge McDuck, richest duck in the world, is tolerable. Is a mid-century American system where Scrooge may have a money been full of money, but Scrooge pays a ninety percent marginal tax rate, right? You know, like Scrooge is taxed out the wazoo, and 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 that wealth is 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 spread around town uh, that way in an invisible system. Um, uh, I see what you're talking about when yeah. when you say mid-century. I guess what I'm saying is that. His his wealth is connected to actual stuff. Yes, like on a one to one basis. Right. Like his relationship to wealth um, uh, is one that exists before um, before the before the um, like before the disconnect between money and gold. Before the disconnect between. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost like his wealth exists without a central bank. You know what I mean? Well, like yeah, just, because it's all in his money. just outside of all of these systems. <laughs> Pardon? It's because it's in his money bin. Scrooge knows where all of his money is. Exactly. That's you right. Know? Like, it's not, right. It's not a computer somewhere. It's not, no, it's, it's, it's not in a record. It's, a, it's rolled up in a sock underneath his mattress. Yeah. It's, it's he something. He has a really fucking big sock and a really fucking big mattress. Yeah. So we can dive into and swim around like a porpoise, right? <laughs> um, it's 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 tangible wealth that he got through tangible means. Exactly. And and I mean that's that's you know, we don't see any speak you know Mark Beeks. We don't see any of Mark Beeks's wealth. 
Mark's Beaks' wealth is all about popularity and likes and being seen to be more than he actually is. But you go down well, we, and we, we, we see it manifested in, in his lifestyle. Yeah, but like, does he own those helicopters or is he leasing them? Like, but, like, I, but I, I, I mean, but I mean, in terms of his of the way he of his time, like what he does, you know. Yeah, but we, but but he could be faking it, like he fakes everything else, like he, you know, I don't know. There's, Fair enough. There's, there's definitely something. Like, and this is not, and just for everyone who's listening, we are not, I'm not positing that the writers are fully aware of this. Although I wouldn't be surprised if some argument like this happened in the writers room, that'd be awesome. Um, I, I, I would be shocked if there wasn't some conversation about how do we present Scrooge McDuck as a hero to these younger, to these kids? Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if any of them are worried about like presenting this stuff to people whose parents are in the DSA. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't think I don't think that's the concern. Um it's like I, I don't I don't think I don't think that uh the folks who whose kids are watching this are currently on Twitter like really losing their shit over Colin Powell speaking at uh the DNC. <laughs> like yeah. he's not you know, and and mind you, there's there's plenty of reasons to do that, right? But like, this is not folks' primary concern, right? These are these are folks who are like they are they they got the Disney Plus, right. honestly, they got the Disney Channel, right? And and they are whatever version of the parents in the '90s whose kid and '80s who are watching Gummy Bears when I wasn't, right? Like it's it's those folks, uh, whoever they might be. And and given the way that class works in America right now, I have no clue what that looks like at all. Right, the cross section right. of that is just like really, really odd. But this this idea of, I do think there's something about this idea of, you know, what, how is it okay to be wealthy in the world? Right, not that this is a great concern, but like if wealth is value. And we do have a, a, a relationship of understanding it because it's it's ingrained into the system of the world that wealth wealth is value. That's how we talk about it. What are the values around someone with wealth? And a figure like Scrooge, who comes out of you know, I mean, you know, he, he who who's Scrooge, right? Like he's miserly. But he's right. miserly because he's miserly about the effort he's put in. What he's won is what he's won, and he's worked hard to do it. Um, which is but what that's people... why. But that that's why his age is such a weird thing in this show. Yeah, because he can't be a boomer. He can't be a boomer. Well, he's he not. He was no. Born... I... Yeah. Exactly. That's why they push his age so far back. To make his relationship with wealth make any sense whatsoever, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's he's from, he's from another. I mean, he's not. He's you know he's a he's a, he's a he's a larger than life figure. Um. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's something. Yeah, there's just something in here about the different modalities of how we've thought of wealth and the wealthy and the systems grown up. And the show is, the show is not aware of the systems, you know, and, um, well, at least not self-conscious of the systems and the system of the world that exists in the show, um, 
I mean, it's definitely much more rooted in interpersonal drama. Um, yes. Than it is in anything like uh, a great novelistic, like this ain't the wire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Noah Nelson decrees. DuckTales 2017 is not The Wire. Maybe the show's name was. should be completely obvious. <laughs> <laughs> completely obvious. A, f- a show about fitness. So, um, obviously. Look, DuckTales isn't about Scrooge McDuck. DuckTales is an excavation of the power systems in Duckburg. Do you not see that? <laughs> God. God. So anyway, other binging of Scrooge McDuck uh, yes. ends ends also on a really dark note. Um, yeah. Like Magica asserting her agency over Lena. Yeah. Like, like this episode is on, back on the, on the personal yeah. level. This episode is horrific. This yeah. is this is horror stuff right here. Yeah. One one thing I do I do like though I I love how and I love characters like this. And I love when it pardon me when it works in a way that seems to make emotional sense. The thing that wins over Lena, the thing that really moves Lena, it seems is that no matter what happens, Webby believes in her. Mm. And it's Webby's belief in her that one could say, oh, it's naive, it's stupid, why would this move someone? But it's it's Webby's faith in Lena that it's like how she sees Lena makes Lena see herself differently, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you kind of got to hope that on some level that that kind of love, which, I mean, we're probably talking, we probably are talking agape there, right? For sure. Like that, that type of love, which is redemptive and accessible. It it is often in short supply and, and yet it is something one can generate through action. And you got to look at the moment that we're in culturally and sociologically, and you got to hope that somehow agape made, makes its way back into the formula. And a, as difficult as it can be to access, particularly in in the moment we're in, but when you when you look at where some of the vectors of sickness are coming from, it is it is almost certainly in so many places you can see the absence of love. You see it in the actions of the people who are who are doing harm. You see you see the hole in their heart where the love should be. And you know that there's, there's something that's missing and, mm. and they're, and they're connecting with other people who have that hole in their heart that the shadow just, just takes over and, and, and converts into this avariceness of, of this power lust. And, and yet, and yet agape and yet that type of love um, the love that, that, you know, the love that Jesus brought, um, uh, full disclaimer, we did not suddenly take some weird turn. This is not like one of the later ICP albums where you find out this has been a Christian youth ministry this entire time. No, no, no. I've just read too many books when I was in my twenties. Um, well, I, think, I, well, I think this, I think this follows hard on, on another, 
Noah Nelson's special, which is this pandemic and this moment in American history might end what we call civilization in the United States, but it's not going to end humanity. Right. And when these structures fall away, when the structures that we identify with that that hold up a portion of who we of of what we call what we are go away that's when other things can return like agape yeah yeah or other horrible things can happen but other other horrible things but like you strip it away and you know that kind of love is is one of the fundamental forces and the the love webby has of lena the the love these characters have for each other it's probably what, what, you know, aside from the craft of the series, that that those values are are at the heart of it, uh, are what's keeping me in. And you know, I gotta think like I, I've been watching. We're recording this the week of the DNC. It's been very interesting. I like I follow a lot of you know very vocal progressives um, on on Twitter. Uh, some of them people I really admire. Some of them are friends. Uh, I think of myself as progressive. I, I sort of I'm tolerant of centrist. So I often find them kind of ridiculous. A lot of that comes from just like my own upbringing and like the the the, the realities of the class struggle uh, of you know where you get apportioned into in life, uh, and and some of the ironies around there. But like watching the so much of the messaging, um, uh, you know, this week uh, around. You know, a lot of familial energy, a lot of a lot of just kind of like a, the, the story being woven by by the Democrats this week is that America is a family that's that's broken right now and needs to be put back together, uh, and and they're on message on it in a way I rarely see them. I don't know if that messaging can get through the the sheer cacophony of of social media doesn't allow for gospel (laughs) like it's not wired that way but there's a there's a vibe and a tone that's coming through and you got to kind of hope that some of the peak moments these 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 you know epiphany moments that are happening can kind of frame things for people so we kind of come to that and and even you know recognize recognize the humanity in in the people who are having the most trouble recognizing humanity in others um which is which is tricky and difficult and here in 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 the person of lena we have someone whose whose will is is not metaphorically but is literally dominated by shadow by by yeah. an evil spirit that is that is a member of her family, who holds dominion over her her will and action, and the the fight, the battle is between that force, which seems again at the end of the episode to be stronger than the force of 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 the agape of the love of her friends, uh, which she so wants to lose herself to. She wants to be a member of that family, um, this this family that is gathered around the world's finest adventure capitalist. <laughs> Which I think can only bring us to 
a really solid Dewey episode. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> How long have you been waiting to say that? Uh, every moment of every day. Uh, all the time. Can I, can I tell you something that haunts me? Absolutely. It haunts me that I that when we were deciding or talking about which of the brothers each of us would be, mm-hmm. that I didn't accurately clock you as a Dewey. Who'd you clock me as, Louie or Hugh? Yeah, I said Louie. And it's funny because initially I thought Dewey, um, but I, I, I felt like I was a Dewey. And I kind of felt like like one of us has to be something else. But no, it's not true. That's a very, that's a very Willow Ufgood moment. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to explain that. If you don't get the reference, uh, you clearly, if you're listening to the show, probably have access to Disney, Disney Plus. Just start searching. All right. Um, start searching and enjoy. Um, Dewey the storyteller, Dewey the frustrated storyteller, Dewey, Dewey the performer. Dewey, the one who feels like an only child, even though he isn't. Yep. Dewey, the one who can be completely forgotten about when one of his brothers is just covered in blue paint. Um, Dewey is trying to tell a story and no one's listening to it. Oh, my God. (laughs) The worst. Um, Dewey, Dewey, the the one who finds uh, finds fulfillment in uh in a in a, a theatrical troupe <laughs> uh, uh who uh who do uh you know the aeronautical equivalent of street theater uh <laughs> yeah you know it's I, I i i have to i have to admit once it was clear this episode was a musical i i i was a little disappointed because i just wanted a slightly higher level of execution in the music until I, I mean, I realized I was clearly part of the joke, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wanted Pirates of Penzance and I, you know, barely got Pirates. Um, yeah. Although I, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this, this feels like a, like a, like a solid standalone exploration of dewiness, you know? Um, one thing I did really appreciate about this episode um, was in the very beginning of the episode or not the very beginning, but when we, when we start hanging out with the pirates for the first time um, and we realized that the leader of the pirates, Don Carnage, <laughs> um, from not... Tailspin, by the way, pardon? He's from Tailspin, by the way. Oh, yeah, he's he's the uh, Let's begin he's the first. He's the bad guy in the in one of the very first episodes. All of those pirates are are right on Tailspin. Are they? Do they also sing in uh, Tailspin? Nope. I do wow. not believe they do. Um, he's he's just he's just more. He sounds almost the same, but he's just more. Uh, they're 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 more pirates than they are. Than they are performers. Um, when he throws one of his own pirates out of the pirate skyship, and it takes a bit before it's clear what's going to happen to the guy. And for a moment, I was wondering if they're actually just not going to follow up. So we imagine that this pirate splatters to his death. Yeah. 
Yeah. But then you see the parachute, and then you see him land, and it's clearly that they've they've definitely GI Joe'd this, where like you know no one's actually going to die. Yeah. And then it happens again later on when uh, when the pirate captain himself is thrown out and has a and also escapes. But then I realized then, but I appreciated later on when Scrooge and uh, and the brothers are tied up and they're going to be thrown out of the pirate ship that I felt this sense of danger that I don't often feel in this show because I knew they didn't have parachutes. Yes. And that's uh, off. Yeah. That's off. Yeah. No, there, there was, there was, there's definitely menace there. And, and I think what you're pointing out too is like in a weird way, because they established that the other characters had parachutes and this was like a you know, rule of three. We get to mm-hmm. the third, exactly. And we're like, they don't have parachutes. Right. And and if you're a kid, and you you don't follow, you just follow the the kind of the no the Nolan flow logic of the story, where it's like you're just in the moment. You're not you're you're you do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Like this trick, you know, if you start questioning the trick, it's going to fall apart on you. Like, uh-huh. wh- how did you get the bombs and all those chips? What's going on? Like, why? why Where'd that truck come from? Right? Don't think about it. Just enjoy the ride. You'll just be like, oh, they'll be like, this. The bad guys are going to do a bad guy thing, but like, people, people just magically have parachutes when you throw them out of things. Um, but if you're not a kid, you're like, they ain't got no parachutes. <laughs> ain't got no parachutes. <laughs> ain't got no parachutes. What's going to go on? I think I think that the other thing I appreciate about this one, um, and indeed like this this thing of like, because it, it really illustrate illustrates where the, the the boundaries of reality of the show are, is Don Carnage after he gets thrown out he like happens upon uh, the crashed Sun Chaser where the, the the everybody else is kind of gathered up and trying to figure out what to do, yes, and, and he he like dresses himself up as a plant scientist yeah. uh, and all this stuff. And like the family gathers around and it's like, and it's well, like so, well, let's, uh, let's, let's back up for a moment. Yeah. yeah. What was his fake mustache? A uh, caterpillar. That's correct. Yes. Yes. He had a, he had a caterpillar for a fake mustache. Uh, and he had, he made a lab coat, I think out of his parachute That's and right. um, you know, uh, <laughs> and he approaches them for help and they all listen to his pitch and they gather around in a circle and Scrooge is like, so, uh, so we, we, we all know this is uh, Don Carnage, right? <laughs> like we, we're all on the yes. same page here, but, uh, but let's, let's hear him out anyway. Cause we can probably, you can probably take us where we need to go. And I just, I, I love it. Cause in that moment, it's like your heroes are not dumber than you. Yeah. They, they can see what's in front of their faces. And that's always been true in the show. And it's just, you know, as they say, it's just putting the lampshade on it and saying, see, there you go. Your heroes are not dummies. And it also feels like, and this will be hard. Is is that the phrase? Put a lampshade on it? I think that's, I think that it's a little TV tropes for me to say that. And I'm I've, not I've heard, I've heard, I've heard uh, hang a lantern on it or put hang a lamp on it because lampshade makes me imagine that like that sitcom drunk guy at a party with the lampshade on his head yeah. as opposed to hanging a lamp or a lantern on something like we like can, lighting it up and just illuminating it and say, yes, 
we also know that this thing is here. Maybe I've um, lampshade hanging. Um, so, like I said, very TV tropes. That's super TV. That's that's, uh, that's such a TV room thing. It's a TV room thing, and this is this is this is from TV tropes. And mind you, like you know, there, there's plenty of people uh, who have you know, TV tropes has been a a, a big part of some folks's uh, you know education about storytelling, and I would would never knock it. Uh, it happened well after any verse, verse ugh, English fifth language after Sheerwook and all the others. Uh, um, <laughs> that was so lampshade hanging uh, or more informally lampshading is the writer's trick of dealing with any element of the story that threatens the audience willing suspension of disbelief, whether a very implausible plot development or particularly blatant use of a trope by calling attention to it and simply moving on. There, you know, you know where I learned that. Fr- I learned that phrase from from Brian Vaughn, because he was talking. He was telling me about how that was hang a lantern on it was the phrase they used in the Lost Writers Room. Yeah, I think I think there might have been not a great example, but still. Yeah, but 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 you know what? Like I think hang a lantern and then like lampshade hanging. Like I yes. think at some point I don't know why that's in the same family of 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 images. Yeah, no, this practice also known as hanging a clock on it, hanging a lantern on it, or spotlighting it. There you go. It. All right. Uh, in the film industry, it's sometimes called hanging a red flag or something, according to after the screenwriting ad, adage, to hang a red flag on something takes the curse off of it. Yep. Um, Got it. Why it was lampshade, I don't. Uh, the turkey city lexicon refers to flavor lampshade, whatever. Anyway, the point is, wherever <laughs> it freaking comes from, um, <laughs> Uh, and and honestly, like, I don't know. There's a part of me that feels like this. Yeah, where's now? I'm obsessed with this idea of like, where? Oh, we went with our title. Here we go. Hold on to your butts, everybody. We went with our title because it's the one used in the mutant enemy bullpen. Once again, Joss Whedon's uh, domination over early aughts pop culture. Um, yep. There you go. We don't need to go farther than that. Cause uh, I, I like to hold on to some happy memories and not think too hard about certain things. Uh, <laughs> Cause uh, some things are my Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> moving right along. Don Carnage. So um, yeah, like the, the, the character's, um, cause this is different from that idea of, Hey, this is going to break your suspension of disbelief. Let's move on. This is actually something different. This is the character saying, no, we're not going to ask you to suspend your disbelief here. Right. And this writer's room is doing something interesting here. It is, it is making some promises in terms of how they're going to treat their world both with the parachute gags and uh-huh. with this. And it, it feels like it's part of the core DNA of the series. Um, without the episode itself, I mean, the episode is fun, right? Fine. But again, this is this is definitely one of those episodes I've thought of in this whole thing of like, how many superlatives can we drop on this show? Is there anything to talk about? And as it turns out, there's a, there was 90 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 90 minutes to talk about. Um, 
because it's us. So what a what a what a shock. Um, maybe the, maybe the show should be called About Ninety Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, any, anything else about sky pirates in the sky, uh, before we um, move on to assignment for next week or for next time? No, no, I think that's, uh, I'm, I'm good with that. I like a good Dewey episode. Always good to have a good Dewey episode. And, uh, you know, and you know what, here's something. If the boys all had to wear their caps, like the original models of the characters, Dewey would not have been excited about a hat. Just want to just want to point that out. Just wouldn't have been a thing. Wouldn't have been a thing. Um, next time out, here's the sequence to watch the episodes in. All right, this is both for you, and uh, and from what it looks like, this is both how they were originally aired and according to the production schedule, how they were originally conceived. All right. Mm, okay. So, uh, but not how they are on Disney Plus, because if you watch the Disney Plus order, you will have already seen the secrets of Castle McDuck. All right. That's number one. Then you're going to go to the last crash of the Sun Chaser, which indeed is in the proper order. So you're, you're back now. Things get normal. And then our two part finale, the Shadow War parts one and two. Uh, which pays off one of the arcs that has been going off uh, all season long. Um, I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave things at that. Um, these are all good. <laughs> I don't want to say more than that because I forgot you haven't watched. <laughs> um, you know, looking and, looking at this list of all the episodes in season one, one thing. I did not properly appreciate before is uh, they all have exclamation points at the end of them. I like oh that. God, you're right. I didn't realize that. I didn't. I, I. I didn't even notice. Even even who is Gizmo Duck, which says the question mark exclamation point. Question mark exclamation. Point. You're absolutely right. I. Uh, yeah. Bold. Gotta love, gotta like love it. when a writers' room has a theme going on. That's right. Um, so that's going to be our next episode. And then, you know, we'll, we'll come up with a, a new name and then we'll probably like mess around with some stuff and uh, it'll be, it'll be fun. So um, yeah. Zay, as always, um, it's a great way to spend a night. It's good to hear from you, man. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're just discovering this feed, we've got hundreds of episodes about all things immersive and a whole website, No Persinium, that's dedicated to that, all of which is made possible by our Patreon backers. Follow us at No Persinium on Twitter and Facebook and learn how to support our work at patreon.com slash no The episode features the tracks Battle of the Pogs, The Adventure, and Dance Contest to the Music from the album Poopy's Incredible Adventures, by Kumiku via the Free Music Archive and used under a Creative Commons license. Check out more at freemusicarchive.org. Until next time, remember, any crash you can walk away from 